Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. I want to read a text from the scripture. Everything we do is biblically rooted. And um, when we speak about aspects relative to marriage, obviously our standard is the Bible. It's our default setting, as it were. And everything we do is a spin-off from our relationship with God and our textbook for life, particularly for marriage, is the Bible. Okay, so bear with me as we read Ephesians chapter 5 from verse 20 to 33. You can follow with me on the board for those of you that can see it. If you want to reposition your chairs to just for the sake of these two 30-minute talks, uh, please do so to make yourself a bit more comfortable. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. You will soon read the expectation that God has for wives to be submitted to their husbands and to be subject to their husbands. But before you, Paul gets into the details governing the relationship in terms of roles and functions between a man and wife, notice the prelude to that. He talks about subjection one to the, one to the other. So submission is mutual. Submission is mutual. I think you better tell the person next to you, maybe some of them need to be reminded, submission is mutual. So be subject one to another in the fear of God. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. In other words, don't be subject to another husband other than your own. Okay? Be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, himself being the Savior of the body. But as much as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church, and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but she would be holy and blameless. So, in other words, in like manner, so husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For the wife is literally an extension of you. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but he nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church, 
because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, and that's a sila moment. The marriage mystery is extremely great. It's a, myst- it's a mystery to be decoded. It's a mystery containing hidden things, hidden truths, hidden principles that all those who venture into marriage must understand. Failure to understand the mystery of marriage will make the experience of marriage a difficult one and an unenjoyable one. But once the mystery is decoded and you understand fully what have I got myself into or what do I seek to get myself into, you unlock with truth and the commensurate grace attendant with that a capacity to represent Christ in marriage which ordinarily outside of the knowledge of the mystery of marriage you have no hope of attaining. It's like the Bible says you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Truth does not set you free. Only truth that you know sets you free. In the order of things, the text says, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Truth that you don't know does not, liberate, does not set you free. So whenever you know truth that's been cloaked or disguised or hidden out of your purview, it's like a mystery, something that was hidden from you. But once you see the reality of a thing, Once you see the hiddenness, once you see the truth behind what is apparent, your knowledge of the truth is not simply information to make you aware, but every time you get understanding, you gain legitimate access to experience the thing. So long as the thing is blocked off, Ignorance makes it difficult to enter into the experience of the thing. But when knowledge comes, knowledge is not simply to make you aware. From God's perspective, if a mystery is decoded, and where once your mind was in darkness, being uninformed about a matter, and God's light, God's understanding comes to your mind, the fact that your mind has become illuminated, is in fact God's methodology he employs to literally catapult you into the experience of the thing. It's like if you can see it, you can have it. If you can see it, you can experience it. But so long as, listen carefully, if you entertain anything in life absent the knowledge that governs the thing, you, you, you venture into the thing not experiencing the total benefits of the thing from God's perspective because you've entered into it already on the back foot being uninformed. It's like if you walk past a shop and you see a vacuum cleaner and you simply like the way it looks and you say, I think I will buy this 
but without understanding the purpose for the thing. You can have the thing in your experience and not fully utilize nor experience the total benefit of the thing for the lack of understanding its purpose. But once knowledge comes as to why did we get married, why on earth did God put male and female in this construct called marriage, the moment you understand purpose and the truth behind God's original mind attendant with that union, like I said, the knowledge is not, not simply to inform you. Once the mystery is decoded, you enter into the experience of it and you encounter the benefit of it. But more important to me is you start to more fully explore the purpose behind it. So that nothing in and of itself is beyond purpose. Nothing. You take purpose out of anything, the thing becomes self-absorbing, becomes introspective, becomes inward-looking, accomplishing nothing definitive upon the earth. We're going to pray a very solid prayer by the time we finished. My passion tonight is, and I know the Lord has directed me in this endeavor, is to take your marriage beyond the obvious enjoyment and benefit that accrues to you as married persons. Yes, there must be that. Yes, there must be that. But beyond that, there is a grand divine purpose attendant with your union that must be attained before you pass away. Let me just say this. The fact that you are here tonight is not a coincidence. You did not respond to a Facebook ad or somebody's... Um, cajoling of you to attend tonight. Your, your, your presence here tonight is of the Lord because God wants to fill your marriage, not just making it blissful, enjoyable, happy. Yes, that all that is true. But from this point onwards, I want to declare to every single one of us, once you understand the mystery behind it, you'll begin to attain the purpose attendant with it. Paul says this mystery is great. Then he says, but I'm speaking in reference with Christ and the, and the church. Right? Nevertheless, he says in the next verse, nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband okay now that's a mouthful that passage not so and i call it representative marriage everyone say representative marriage the power of representation is something that must be understood by all of us particularly those of us that claim to be sons of god and have a relationship with him Whenever one represents another, if, for example, an agent represents a principal in a matter, like estate agents, the agent goes out on behalf of his company, let's say Wakefields or whichever, and he acts in the field on behalf of the principal, that's the company or the owners that have designated him with authority to act on their behalf. 
the representative literally must die to himself, die to his own views on matters. If issues come up, he will simply follow company policy in representing accurately the one that sent him or her. So whenever one represents another, it is required of the one sent on behalf of the sender that the sent one must die to himself to fully represent the one who sent him. Now, listen carefully. All Paul is saying in this passage, he's saying marriage literally is not an end in and of itself. It was designed to represent a far greater reality. That reality is the relationship between Christ and the, Christ and the church. So then, if that is true, if, uh, is it Frank, eh? Frank and Germain. Germain. Let me use Frank and Germain. If Frank and Germain, who got married, how long now? Okay. Very wise man. He lets the wife answer first. She says 20. Yeah, 20. Amen. Okay. Must learn these tricks, brethren. <laughs> walking on the path of marriage for the past 20 years. All I'm saying is, initially, probably at their meeting, there was love, there was chemistry, right? Something moved in the heart. Not so, we all felt these things. Yes? Um, we were at Skochheim on a pastor's retreat from Sunday until Tuesday this week. And Renee and I reminisced how that when we were 14 years old, we met at the very same camp spot right but we're now nearing 50 don't work out the maths <laughs> although we only started courting at 19 but that's when i first saw and i remember very vividly my first inclination was that will be my wife one day right i wasn't discerning from now i've come a long way <laughs> right these things work out in, in your life from way back amen and we were just reminiscing, and yes, obviously, there was feelings of love. Wow, what a girl, what a lady. And all that is true, and there will, this be, there, will this be, there will be that attraction that every loving couple feels. Once you work out all of that, and you go through a courtship, and you realize that there's the purpose of God attendant with this union, and you, you marry, then the marriage starts to take on another agenda, at least if you know the mystery of marriage. Now we don't just connect because we love each other, decide to have four kids now, and steward their destinies in God in the earth. All of those factors are true. But now when I look at her, and she looks at me when I relate to her, and she relates to me at the back of my mind as a husband. I have got to know that how I treat her, deal with her, relate to her, I have got to thoroughly represent Christ in that manner. Right? So as Christ is the head of the church, it says a husband is the head of his own wife. Right? As Christ loved the church and he gave himself up 
for the church. So a husband must be sacrificial, even to the point of great cost, in how he demonstrates his love for his wife. And so the responsibility takes on heightened priority now and the greater import when I understand how I love her. If somebody comes to evaluate my love for Renee and how, demon, uh, how I demonstrate that and the degrees to which I go to express that, after, an, after analyzing that, that person must come away with this understanding. Wow, now I understand how Christ loves the church by looking at that example of how that husband loves his wife. Tall order? Yes. Is it possible? Yes. You know why I say it's possible? God is invisible. He is spirit. Can't hold or see spirit. But He created human beings. Flesh and blood. You can see us. Physical form. He chose to remain in the realm of invisibility. But he chose to create a visible representation of himself. He the principal, we the agent. We the representation physically of all that he is invisibly. So that if you look to man, you can understand him. God like stood back and he said, I choose not to reveal ourselves even though we can because we are God, Father, Son, Spirit, we can do anything we want. But we choose invisibility, choose to make man as a visible representation of ourselves. But no principle can demand of the agent to represent him accurately if that sender or principle does not endow everything of himself in the one he sends. So what did God do to man? Made him flesh. And what did he do? The Bible says he breathed in him. What? <sighs> Breath, which is spirit. Remind you, the person next to you, you are spirit. I know some of us look more ghostly than others, but it's fine. Okay. You are ghost. You are spirit. Listen carefully. The investiture of God in you. God like divested himself to a degree, I believe. And he poured into man's spirit. What was he doing? He didn't just make Adam and say, well, here's the planet. Manage this piece, this, this piece of, of, of real estate called the earth on my behalf. Good luck. Bye-bye. <laughs> God didn't operate that way. God put in man the capacity to represent God by giving man the essence of God himself. But you know what the Bible says? Genesis 2 says this. In the image of God, He created them male and female. It takes both male and female to accurately represent God. Right? You know what I believe? I believe in marriage, you lose your independent individualism. The moment you said, I do, You've elected to function in life and before the heavens. Not as an isolationist, solitary person. 
Do you know what? Let me use these two as an example here. Bruce and Jolene. When you said, yes, I do, we, and you got married, your entire status from God's perspective changed. He now not sees you as two disparate separate beings. You know what the Bible says? For the two shall become one flesh. You know, I, I even like the terms. I could very well understand one spirit. I can understand that concept. I can even understand one soul. Because Paul said of Timothy, he's one soul with me. Thinks like me, feels like me, decides like me. But the Bible says also, in marriage, the two become one, even one, flesh. You are two separate beings. Yes, we can delineate that Bruce, that's Jolene. But from God's perspective, I or Bruce now no longer can act individually, selfishly, for example, in his actions. That now has a direct impact upon Jolene and vice versa. The two have become one. The two have become one flesh. Okay. So, listen carefully. The man is to love his wife, the husband. I like the stressing of Paul, his own wife. Don't love another man's wife. It says love your own wife. The wife must be submitted to her own husband. Right? Don't submit to another man, an another husband. It's not like if you don't get married, that you don't have the opportunity of fully showcasing the entirety of the image of God to men. Because it takes both male and female, as I said, to showcase the invisible God. Because Paul was unmarried, not so. So an unmarried single person is not less than the married person. All I'm saying is if you enlist to be married, you lose that singular individual independent status. And you've now come into a complementary relationship with the other, your spouse. Okay? So now, for example, I have to evaluate my love for Renee. Do I love her? As Christ loves the church. If I am to represent Christ in that, you know what it demands of me? I have to fully understand how Christ loves the church if I am to fully love my wife. Right? Absent the knowledge of my understanding of how Christ loves the church, I can never ever accurately and in a mature sense love my wife if I don't know and have a revelation of how Christ loves the church. Simple example. The Bible says it's not that we love God first, but that He first loved us. Right? Now, you know that whenever husbands and wives argue, and argue we do. Amen? We disagree at times. Right? We are human. We are still flesh and blood. But how we resolve that is very important. If you don't have the Bible, biblical principle, God's view on the matter as a point of reference, you are left to decide an outcome Using opinions, either your opinion or the opinion of your spouse, which itself takes its, its cue 
from standards in the world that might be at variance with the biblical way. Right? It's important to find what is God's view on the, on the matter. I believe, listen carefully, it is always a husband's duty to love first. Who loved first? Did Christ wait for men to love him first? The Bible says while we were yet in trespass and sin, he died for us. Not so? While we were yet alienated from him, he expressed love. His firstness in his expression of love unlocked in men the capacity to love him back. It's not that we love God. Do we love God? Yes, we do. John says, it's not that we love God, but that He loved us first. Everyone say, love first. Now, if you're sitting next to your uh, uh, husband or a boyfriend, tell him, please learn this one quickly. <laughs> love first. Listen carefully. If the parallels are Christ equates to the husband, the church equates to the wife, guess what? The initiation of anything reconciliatory is a husband's obligation, is a husband's responsibility. That does not take away from the wife's responsibility to do the same. All I'm saying, men, husbands, brews, mana, the, 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 the mandate, you must be the most reconcilable person you know. Some of you want to leave right now. <laughs> Why did I come? <laughs> you, you know, because women generally take a while to, to deal emotionally with issues. But us men, we can come to a place of resolve quickly. And all the men said? <laughs> For us... <laughs> <laughs> All I'm saying, listen carefully. You men are responsible if there's a lack of love in the marriage. It is your responsibility to initiate. You have the reciprocated love you deserve. If it's unreciprocated, I always lay the responsibility at your feet. Learn to be creative. If you lack creativity, read the Song of Songs. Hmm? I want to encourage you. You have the wife you deserve. You are responsible. What the text we just read now? It says, Christ wants to purify the church. And notice the text. Wash it with the washing of water by the word of God. It says to present to himself a glorious church. He takes the responsibility of the outcome of the church upon himself by his initiative to wash the church. He says, I want to present that bride to myself. Every man deserves the wife he has, I think. You must decide what bride you want to present to yourself. You will reap the benefits of every investment of firstness of your love 
for her. It always comes back to you. If you want to increase your returns, increase your investment. Amen? I always use this analogy. It's, it's, it's easily understandable. In the sexual act at climax, the male releases sperm into the female. Millions or thousands, not millions. One connects with the female egg. Not so? And a baby starts to form. Nine months later, that wife is popping. At birth, what does she, what does she give back to you? Hey, Andre, what, you, what did she give you? She gave you a whole baba. <laughs> she gave you a whole baby. What was your contribution? One small sperm. But her return? Massive child. Huh? I hope you're getting the principle. Everything you give to your wife will come back to you far more greatly than your original investment. The small love, you know, doesn't take much to please a wife. Really doesn't. Small expressions of love will be multiplied ten times, thousand times back to you. But similarly too, give us small problems. <laughs> huh? this thing, it works both ways. Works both ways. Right? Small problems works both ways. Let me conclude because we can go on and on, but I'm worried about time. From the wife's part, you are expected to be submissive to your own husband. Submission for me is the natural response in a wife to a husband whose love for her is clearly demonstrated. Sub it says, and notice in the order of things, Paul first encourages husbands love your wives, then wives submit to your husbands. So submission, respect, deference, honor of a wife to the husband is the natural outcome of a heart that is baptized in love by him. She has no problems. Her submission will be uncoerced. It will be, it will be sincere. It will be voluntary. You know something that born in my heart strongly this week? The expectation on wives to submit to their husbands is generally sounded out at marriage conferences, at marriage seminars. Wives, submit to your Husbands. It says, but notice the, the latter part, as unto the Lord. That doesn't mean I must just submit willy-nilly because of my submission to this man who doesn't love me is really a submission unto the Lord. That's one view of the scripture. But the other view of that same text is this. The wife's submission to the husband is really a submission to the husband's headship, whose character is after the lordship of Christ. There's a big difference. Right? So, Renee, if, if I head up the home, head up the marriage, if I take responsibility for her state, oh, by the way, when God said to Adam, subdue the earth, nourish it, replenish the earth, that also had Eve in mind. She was part of Adam's earth. And tell your neighbor, or you're not your neighbor. 
please, your own wife, husbands, tell your own wife or courting couple, you're part of my earth. <laughs> Adam's responsibility was to bring the earth to maximum flourishment and productivity. It's part of a husband's mandate to unearth in his wife and bring her to maximum blossoming. It's your earth. It's your garden. You must tend. You must ensure it comes to maximum fertility. Okay? So, there will be no problems in submission. And by the way, let me, let me conclude by saying this. James 4 says, Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. You don't resist the devil outside of submission. The act of submission is in fact your resistance to the devil. In the order of things, it's submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. That tells me submission is actually an act of spiritual warfare. You are not being less than when you observe God's protocols in marriage. I'm talking to the wives. You're not being inferior to your husband. You are saying, my husband, I recognize your representation of Christ. That I'm submitted to. That I heal to. But my healing is not making myself less than what God made me to be as his son. I'm simply respecting God's protocols for this relationship. But the act of my humility in submitting myself to you is in fact this home's empowerment and protective defense mechanism against all the fiery darts of the enemy against us. My submission to you is an act of spiritual warfare. This home will know protection, preservation, and immunity. When a husband loves the wife of the representation of Christ loving the church, and the wife can regard that representation, submit to it, I guarantee you the enemy has no chance. But you violate that order. You open the door to a host of satanic attacks. You give the enemy leverage. But tonight we want to pray at the end of Renee's session. I just sense that the love of God for all of us here tonight. God wants to rescue some of you. God wants to close every open door that you either voluntarily or perhaps uh, unconsciously you've permitted, you've given tacit approval to the enemy to attack you in some respect. You know, and it's not because whether you are aware of the principle or unaware of it, the result is still the same. The result is still the same. But we are after marriages with purpose. Marriages that are thoroughly representative of God in all His entirety. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. So tell your neighbor or your wife or your husband sitting next to you or your partner, if you're courting couple, we want a representative marriage of Christ and His church. Amen. Let's give Renee a hand as she comes up.